Welcome to Trail Angels, powered by Karen the Load. We are so excited today to have Nate Rifkin with us. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Nate has this incredible story, an incredible journey that he is here to share to share with us. And just as part of an introduction, Nate, I want to I want to read a little bit about your bio. But also some of the things just about you to kind of paint a picture for our audience. Um, Nate, he he said, I was a lot like so many people who are struggling with finding their path. That is so true, Nate. I mean, I'm Mm going to kind of interject in here. You're not alone. (laughs) And it doesn't matter your age. People struggle with finding their path. He dropped out of college. He dedicated himself to uh, self-help and pursuing his entrepreneurial dreams, yet he failed to achieve his goals. Worse, he spiraled into debt. He drank a lot of alcohol every morning, felt lonely, lost, and hated himself. After a few years, um, a brutal bankruptcy and a stint of spinning signs on a street corner, we're going to ask you about that. Yes, too, we way. are. Please. <laughs> he was able to quadruple his income, married the woman of his dreams, and found happiness and contentment. What made the difference? We're going to find out about that. But let me just say, Nate Rifkin has prospered by combining ancient mystical practices with modern strategies for living. Nate used to be suicidal. And he drank alcohol every morning to get through the day. He dropped out of college, went broke, bankrupt, and even worked on street corners waving around a sign to afford his rent and food. But he's managed to turn his life around, find love, and now has an incredible life. His secret? A practice from spiritual tradition of Taoism. Nate has published a book on this ancient practice called The Standing Meditation. Nate, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor. There, there are so many different places we could start with there this are. conversation here, but we just read a few sentences of your story, and it's a unique story. Help us to understand a little bit more from where you've come from to where you are now. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's really important to know that uh, I was born into a family where my parents are really not equipped to raise children. Um, they were very, let, let's call it, they're just very shut off emotionally. Um, they're very, sh- they're very shut down when it comes to like relating to children and being able to like care for them and show compassion for them. Um, so I became a very, very, let's call it a very angry kid. And the older I got, the more depressed I got. Um, and in fact, it was a situation where by the time I became a teenager, all my anger was condensing um, into a depression. And I thought this was normal. I, I didn't realize that I was going through something unusual. So I didn't really have much going for my life. I didn't like school. I hardly had any friends. And the friends that did have a very, it was very like surface level friendship. And my only hope was that, well, once I move out, Once I go to college, uh, I can start over again. No one will know me. So I'll have new people around me. I can just reinvent myself. 
Um, so I went to UMass Amherst and within a day, I realized I, how wrong I was because even if I was plugged into a completely new environment, I was still carrying the same emotional pain with me. I was still carrying the same negative patterns with me. Um, so from there, I, I actually became more depressed and frustrated and I was more socially awkward and, I thought to myself, well, maybe I still have some hope because maybe I can become, I still had dreams to become like an entrepreneur of some sort or a business owner or self-employed in some way. And I was, I was into like working out, lifting weights, like health and fitness. So those were my few times of feeling good. So I figured I could mesh them together in some way. And I, the more I thought about it, the more I realized if I'm going to take that path, do I really need a college degree? Probably not. And I, my grades are just going off a cliff anyway, because when you feel bad about yourself, when you hate yourself, you're not going to be very motivated to work hard at something, especially something that's going to better yourself long term. So I dropped out of college. Um, it was after three semesters and I, I did not say goodbye to a soul. Uh, I'm just, no one probably noticed that it's gone. Uh, so from there, though, I did. I still had at least the ability to like work hard at something. So I started studying uh, marketing, advertising. I, I had a knack for writing and I really enjoyed it. And I decided, well, some e- even if I can't do it all, what I can do is I can partner with someone, maybe run the business side of things and create a business like selling products related to health and fitness, like on yoga or other 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 forms of exercise. Sure. So I started this and I had some hit or miss miss success. And this is like in 2007 about, and the, I had hit or miss success, but the misses started to like pile up and the, the, and the hits started to like drain away. And I started maxing out my credit cards, my personal credit cards to keep this thing afloat. So I was living on my own in Boulder, Colorado. I was living in a tiny condo. And I mean, I had some kind of knack for marketing and writing, but I I was a total mess in every other way. And I was very, looking back, I was very immature. I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, I would have a credit card bill come in the mail and I'd like throw it on the floor. And then I'd, oh, I just put another envelope on top of it. So the credit card bill would go unpaid. It was literally out of sight um, and therefore out of mind. So as time went on, I started going more and more uh, in debt and I was a very lonely guy. And and I started to realize, you know, here I am and I'm a student of self-help at this point. And I wasn't just studying it. I really was doing it. Like I actually a lot of people say it's like, well, you know, I I, I get frustrated with self-help because, you know, I, I just don't implement these things. I actually was. And it wasn't working. I failed to achieve every single goal I set for myself. Um, I did the whole positive thinking thing, but I would still just end up feeling horrible with these looping, looping thoughts where I I think about what a loser I was. And I'd imagine how I, I wasn't succeeding like I wanted to. And I'd visualize. So I'd have a few brief moments of like visualizing what I wanted. Um, but none of this, none of this actually had a positive impact on my life long term. 
So I, I grew depressed enough that I started drinking alcohol every morning. Um, I drink like a couple shots of vodka and I mix it with like an energy drink. And that was like my breakfast. So yeah. <laughs> the breakfast of champions right, breakfast there. <laughs> right here. Breakfast of champions. So that was my rock bottom like moment, not, and it wasn't, it was ongoing. And this was around the time I started to have really suicidal thoughts. Uh, I didn't tell anyone about it, um, but they were there. And my, at that point, my only temporary relief was when I'd go to sleep, at least the next morning, I'd wake up feeling somewhat better. And I don't mean like better isn't happy. I just mean not wanting to kill myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So the way that I finally saw daylight was that I had a teacher of mine who was uh, teaching marketing and business, but he was also uh, had a spiritual side to him. And he started teaching more uh, meditative spiritual practices, including something from a tradition called Taoism. Now I had no idea about any of this. All I knew is that he said, Hey, this is a practice that I did um, when I was going from almost broke myself to becoming a success in business. Um, And I was drawn to it. I was drawn to the idea of developing my spiritual side and meditating. Um, But I hadn't really gotten much good education on uh, until that point. So I started with just 60 seconds a day. And without, I, I just lucked into this without even realizing I started building a good habit for myself. And it was kind of funny because I would meditate in the morning, like I'd brush my teeth and then I'd do like 60 seconds of meditation. And then I, I would still drink alcohol. But a funny thing happened. I started feeling so good from the meditation that when I drank alcohol afterwards, yeah, sure, I felt better because I was still in such a rough place in my life and mentally. But it wasn't like the it wasn't like such an amazing like high afterwards. So as time went on, one day I was meditating and then I'd go drink alcohol and I didn't feel any better from the alcohol because I was already feeling so good. It just got me drunk. So I thought to myself, I wonder what's going to happen if this trend continues. Well, within a day or two, I did my meditation. And then when I had the alcohol, I felt worse because I was feeling good enough that the alcohol actually brought me down. So I stopped like, uh, you could say cold turkey. Uh, I kept the bottle in my freezer and I didn't touch it again until I drained it down the drain when I actually moved out of my condo. Um, so that that's the how I started my turnaround. Um, there's a lot from there. but Wow. You know, I'm thinking there's several things, but that power of having the routine yes. in the morning, you know, the routine was not a, a positive one. To begin with, but then as you added the meditation, I'm wondering: was it at the point that you were worse to to have that drink after your meditation? Were you still just doing sixty seconds? Oh, that's a great question. I and again, I kind of lucked into this. I added five seconds per day because somehow I just knew that. I couldn't handle like a lot of time meditating because if I did, I would, I would quit. So I added five seconds a day. So I was doing like 65, 70, and I got to like two minutes. And then from there, I got a little more comfortable with it. So I started adding 
10 seconds. And then eventually I got up to like five or 10 minutes. So it was, it, it, this was like 12 years ago. So I don't remember exactly, but I think I was around the five, 10 minute mark. Uh, yeah. When I went into that transition. And I liked that it was gradual that right. you were kind to yourself. And I would be like you that I don't think I could just go right into five or 10 minutes of it. it would have to be that gradual because you have to learn to train your mind too when you're yeah. meditating um, from what I've learned. But there's such an interesting correlation with, with this teacher who taught you about the spiritual side of things. When we talk about, you know, the Karens and how they balance. And we had a gentleman that taught us, he um, has studied, you know, the spiritual side of things and he was on a beach in California, and we were walking by, and he's building these these Karens that are, you know, they were way taller than I am. Well, and not only that, but they defied logic. And logic. <laughs> you know, it was cool. it was like you'd you'd have this this little teeny rock holding up this big boulder, and we couldn't figure we out. We couldn't how he was figure doing out. It. And he talked to us about these three points of contact hmm. that for that that big boulder to be able to balance and not not only balance, but be able to withstand the wind and the different mm. things. There had to be these three points of contact. And as we have been studying and, and researching, doing things, we look at it as the spiritual, the physical, and the emotional. And if you don't have the three components, we're not balanced. Mm -hmm. and, it, and so for me, when you're telling this story, you know, you had the physical part down. You were going to the gym. You were, you know, working and lifting weights. And you had tried, you know, other things. But that spiritual component was when things really started to shift when you added that. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're right on. And it's, actually, it's fascinating that you brought that up because in Taoism and a lot of other spiritual traditions, that that same three comes up and it's actually it, it's actually exactly as you described there's the mental the emotional and the spiritual and layered within that the Taoist would also refer to it as the physical the energetic and the spiritual um so yes and 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 it's kind of a it's a rant i sometimes go on but most self help today just focuses on the physical and the mental which you could kind of wrap up in the physical because it certainly doesn't touch the energetic or the spiritual. Um, so no matter, I, I kind of compare it to eating um, dinner and only having say carbohydrates and fat, but no protein. It doesn't matter how carefully you're going to construct your diet. If you're lacking in this, you are lacking it. There's no getting around that. Um, but unlike food, most people they either don't know about this or if they do there, it, it can be a very frustrating, confusing path. So yeah, right on with that connection. Do you remember Mark when he was, we were trying to balance these rocks because we just don't think we're <laughs> thinking there is no way. And so he's explaining and teaching us mm -hmm. and we're, we're standing on the boardwalk and he's got these, these rocks stacked and he's, he's helping us and he's trying to explain this, the energy that you talk about and it didn't matter what we did. We could get it to balance, but he would barely touch, touch the bottom rock and it would fall over. Wow. 
And and then finally he had he took the rock in his hands, or actually he had me hold the rock and then he put his hands over mine and started up high. And then we came down and he said, Now fill it, let the energy, let the rock and this energy pulled it to where it needed to be. Hmm. And then it was stable. It, mm-hmm. it was amazing to me. So so I, I, I want to go back just for a second with something that you mentioned in your story, Nate, that I mm-hmm. think is really important. And I think that a lot of our listeners probably can relate to this. And that is the, the misconception that if we change our environment, our life just automatically changes. Mm-hmm. So when you mm-hmm. moved to Amherst to go to school, there – that realization, it, it didn't take long for that realization to occur, that uh, mm-hmm. your your past life came along with you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. as you did that, and as you uh, thought that, uh, it, it, it must have been rather depressing, disappointing to recognize that nothing has changed here. Yeah, and it, it, it adds, it, it really added a, a layer of hopelessness because, First, my my dream as a way out got kind of pulled from me, and and two, then I was kind of left with: Am I am I cursed? Am I like is this a permanent thing? If if my environment, if, if going to a whole new place and wanting to change isn't going to change, then what's going to do it? Um, so yeah, it, I hadn't yet realized that not only is is inward change required. But inward change, and it has to it has to be done from a certain place and, a, and in a certain way. I could I couldn't just uh, think my way out of it. Um, now, I, I, and I yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it also relates to there's there's a theme there's a common theme that you know who you surround yourself with your your friends is very important because they're going to reflect on you and they're going to influence you, which is absolutely true. The thing is though that's a two way street and the, what you bring to the table inwardly is also going to determine where you're going to fall. Just like that stone that was settling by the energy. If you've got energy that's going to take you into an unhealthy place, that's going to override uh, any effort to be around uh, healthier, more supportive people. It certainly did for me. There are great, there are great people at that college, but and we might have just walked past each other, um, but we might as well have been a thousand miles away because we were just on such different trajectories. Yeah, you know, you know, you you talk uh, you you talk about uh, change and and why important to, or why uh, change is important, uh, but it's not always the easiest thing to do. We all have comfort zones. Yeah, uh, let's talk about comfort zones and and uh, how what what it takes to make that change for you, it was kind of a gradual change. Uh, Yeah, it was an extremely gradual change. Um, So, and what's interesting about this is that a lot of people, when they study, like say walking a spiritual path or, or, you know, healing themselves or improving their lives with the spiritual walk, what is not really spoken about is how it's going to actually get more, uncomfortable. So it's going to get less comfortable often before it gets better because you're going to be tested. Um, So for instance, 
even though I start feeling better on the inside for my meditative practice, uh, my financial life was still a mess. Um, because remember earlier when I said I, I just ignore my bills? Well, it was uncomfortable to, to dive into the, uh, I was about to say the, in, the intricacies of finance, but it wasn't even that complicated. It was just uncomfortable for me to face the reality of my financial situation. It was uncomfortable for me to grow up. Um, Nate, yeah. just a thought I was having too is before that you numbed yourself out. Yes. And yes. and with the meditative practice, you you have a clarity and you can't ignore that yeah. those bills that were piling up. Yeah. And yeah. so that that uh, getting out of the comfort zone becomes real pretty quickly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's, it's wonderful insight because um, also because the, the way my teachers describe it is when you're numbed out and, and when most people, when they're not kind of, you know, doing any kind of self-exploration or have a spiritual walk, they're relatively numb. It's like you've had your hand dumped into a bucket of ice water for a good amount of time. Now, even though it's cold, your hand is going to be so numb that it might you might not feel anything. Well, when you start walking a spiritual path, that's like take that's like removing your hand from the bucket and either just letting it dry out or placing it into a bucket of warm water. What's going to happen is your sensation's going to return and it's not going to feel good. It's going to be unpleasant if all has those pins and needles, the sensation of pins and needles, so much so that someone their inclination is going to put their hand right back into that cold bucket. That's the comfort zone. And it's, it's extra tricky because that voice in your head is going to say, Oh, oh you, you need to get back into that bucket because actually, you know, you're, you're getting, you're experiencing more discomfort because something's going wrong, but it's a very deceptive voice. It's actually things are going right. You're you're getting that feeling back. You're getting that awareness back. Um, it's kind of like when someone starts sitting quietly and they might be in prayer or meditating. Um, they might start noticing tightness or discomfort. They might want to fidget, and they think, "Oh, I'm, things are so much you know worse now or less comfortable." Actually, you're just being more. Uh, you're becoming more awake and aware of the tension that was already there. Um, and your body might be aligning and settling at a deeper level, much like those rocks. And and the act of settling and aligning is going to feel strange. Um, and that strangeness can be very deceptive. You actually have to keep, you have to have faith and push through that unusualness in order to expand your comfort zone. Yeah, that make, that makes a lot of sense there. And, and and I think we numb ourselves too sometimes just by overload. There, there's so much overload out there. And one of the things that uh, as, as we've done a little bit of research as well as we've uh, uh, discovered a little bit more about Taoism, Taoism uh, incorporates simplicity and selflessness. Mm-hmm. Simplicity is, is, I think, something that we all lack in to a great degree because of everything that's around us. We, we've got uh, news, we've got uh, media, we've got everything and anything that we could put. Yeah. We've got you know, the phone. How, but... There it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you, you know, I could do the same thing there. We, we all have our devices. Yeah. 
uh, there that that uh, take away sometimes the simplicity that we need in order to be able to think, in order to listen. Mm-hmm. How important was that for you as you were making your transformation there, going through those different comfort zones? Uh, it it was the key factor because any time that we're going to try to work on ourselves by adding. And this could be something as simple as trying to change your thoughts or something as complicated as like starting a a new business or a new venture. The human mind kind of defaults to addition, to adding something. It's it's very counterintuitive and paradoxical, paradoxical to think of removing. So when I was in my kind of self-help fanaticism, I was trying to change my thoughts and change my looping, you know, hurtful, negative thinking with more thoughts, which I, I kind of liken it to trying to douse a fire by pouring gasoline on top of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, maybe if I pour it this way or get it this important, like in this position, it's going to stop like bursting into flames. The, the, the trouble is I wasn't thinking in terms of let's step off that treadmill entirely and embrace silence embrace stillness and create a a vacuum or a void where something healthier can take place. Um, Like even, even like speaking, speaking with you right now, I, I I get excited when I share this stuff. So I have to remember sometimes the best way to impact someone isn't so much the words it's the silence that allows the words to sink in and, and the silence that carries the, the energy and the feeling behind the words. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. We're, des- we're living in a world that's designed by people that want to feed us more. And that's on a surface level. That's what we demand. Um, it takes a it takes a bit more self-discipline and, and a higher level of thinking to realize how can I actually have less rather than more? Um, and, and yeah, and, and practical example would be the phones. Like my my phone, I, I, I frequently set it so it can't even be, people can't even reach me on it because it's a tool. It's not necessarily a tool that I'm going to have available to me 24-7. I use it at certain times. Um, a, another example would be like uh, my internet access or my email, like my email's shut off right now. As I'm talking, uh, I'm talking with you. Uh, so those are, yeah, just practical ways of creating more silence and stillness in our lives. And, and the 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 inner. So those are the outer challenges. The inner challenge, of course, is that when we first encounter that still that stillness and that silence, we're faced with ourselves, and that can be a, a painful experience. But it's 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 a common one. Um, yeah, I so. was I was thinking that exact thing, same thing about how painful it can be when we are first still and allow ourselves to 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 sit with it because we're not used to facing ourselves like you said because we've we've stayed busy we've stayed running so that we didn't ha- I don't know if we necessarily always intentionally meant to stay busy so we didn't have to face certain things. But that's how we coped on on a you know subconscious level in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And so 
it does become painful, but that pain, if we allow it, can help us to grow, to fuel that growth. Yeah. The the pain is often the the emotions finally getting processed like they should. Because when we're because when we're young, we, we're hit with trauma. We're shocked in some way. It could be a, a parent not being there, or it could be a parent yelling at us or abusing us. But when the shock is not processed properly, um, it develops into it can develop into uh, grief, sadness, anger, depression, and it and it creates coping mechanisms because we still our body our body might recognize that we still need to function in life. Now we might not be able to be. 100% healthier, developed, or creative, or open like we should, but it's going to create a process to function, M- much like scar tissue. Scar tissue is not as sensitive or as functional as uh, healthy skin, but it stops the bleeding. Um, so we develop coping mechanisms. And yeah, like you said, one of these mechanisms is to stay busy, 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 and to make sure we don't face that uh any stillness or silence because when we do that's when that old emotion starts bubbling up again and we want to keep it buried down um but if we if if we embrace the stillness we get to discover that the the pain is actually temporary and the pro and the processing can finally happen we'll be a better person on the other side so, so I think you bring something interesting up, and and I I want to congratulate you first of all for uh, your book, oh, you. uh, the standing meditation, and 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 we need to understand a little bit about what that means. But sure. within your book, uh, you you talk about uh, three three ways to quiet your mind. Mm-hmm. There, mm-hmm. and so tell us a little bit about the book itself, and maybe if sure. you can address that uh, particular issue of the three ways of quieting our minds. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the reason it's called the standing meditation is because the form of meditation I started with that comes from thousand is actually done standing up. Um, and this is perfect because it's a human metaphor for the way that you stacked the boulders and stones on the beach. Um, because you're standing in, in such a way that you allow the tension in your body to settle down into your feet and into the ground. Um, and you do that, um, some of the basics are you you almost tuck your hips as if you're sitting on a really, really high bar stool. And you also kind of tuck your chin down a little bit. And this kind of lengthens your spine. It's like giving yourself a very gentle chiropractic adjustment. Um, so, that, and that's another reason why I started with just 60 seconds, because your knees have to bend a little bit. So it could actually be a, it's a challenging position to hold at first. But you, But as you relax, suddenly your body adapts and it's like those stones where it's like, wow, it's actually stable. So when it comes to relaxing to that position or relaxing it into meditation and silence and stillness in general, I found three ways that, um, that really, really help. The first, but I mean, before, before we dive in, the first thing is to recognize that you, you, uh, you should not, I would, I would not advise, fighting your thoughts with more thoughts or fighting your thoughts at all, because it's like a dog chasing its tail. It's, it's going to be a losing battle. You have to, you have to step off that, that conveyor belt entirely. So the number one way uh, is to focus on your breathing instead and breathing deep down into your belly. And this is going to do all kinds of wonderful things. First, it gives your mind 
again, to use the uh, example of like a, a puppy or a dog, it gives it a bone to chew on. So instead of your looping thoughts, you can think about the depth of your breathing and feeling, feeling the breath go down. Because when you're focused on feeling, you're not devoting as much energy to thinking. Like, like we were talking about earlier, removing instead of adding. Um, and an, uh, all kinds of other wonderful things happen because uh, by breathing deeply, you're affecting uh, the levels of your stress hormones. You're affecting the, the, the activation of your central nervous system to calm you down. And once you are in a more calm, restful space, you're in a space where you're not going to engage in in those self-destructive patterns. You're going to make better decisions and you're going to be more open to hearing um, uh, more more refined spiritual messages um, and developing a relationship with our creator. So the breathing is number one. Number two is physical relaxation. Again, much like the stones, because whether you're sitting or standing, you you want to align your body in such a way where you can allow the muscular tension to drain from your body, because any kind of muscular tension is going to keep that stress response activated. It's in a small way, it's going to keep that fight, flight, or freeze response triggered. So, when you focus on relaxing your muscles, which integrates perfectly with deep breathing because deep breathing relaxes your muscles physically, you will feel more calm. And the more calm you are, the more your muscles relax and the more your muscles relax, the deeper you can go into that stillness. Um, So that's two out of three. Um, And the third one is when those uh, emotions do bubble up, you recognize that they're not you. You, you can remember that I am feeling frustration, but that does not make me a frustrated person. I am feeling worry. That does not make me a worried person. And if you allow it to come up and welcome it as just the, the temporary feeling it is, this too shall pass. You can just as gracefully uh, let it fade away because all the emotions you've ever felt are temporary. So th- yeah, those are the three things. Wow. You know, you, you, you sound, you sound like you not only know this, but you practice it. I can just feel it in, in your voice there that, uh, oh, that, that you. you practice this. Uh, and, and uh, when, when I think about uh, simplicity, when I think about uh, lack of balance, I think, okay, just shut it off. Just, put myself in a position where I can let my senses just direct me. Mm. And, and uh, I, I, I see that uh, is, is very, very important to you there that uh, you, you don't seem like you're an uptight kind of a guy. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe there was a time, but now it seems like you, you really recognize how important it is to, to listen to yourself. Well, well, thank you. I have my moments. Um, and, you know, as, as my teachers like to say, we all will have our moments. Yeah. It's it's just a matter of how quickly can you return to that space? You know, like what well, one funny example is just like you might have a great um, session of prayer or meditation, the comfort of your home. And then you walk outside and you step right on your neighbor's dog poop. It's like, how quickly can you get back to that spot? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some people, their whole day might be ruined. 
And then, but as, as you work on yourself and as you keep walking this path, then maybe only an hour gets ruined, then maybe a minute. Um, and then maybe it eventually becomes as, as quickly as, as you can laugh it off and take a few breaths. So, so Nate, help us to understand there, there are times when we have dark places, uh, that we're in dark places. And it's, and it's probably not necessarily when we just uh, get cut off in on the freeway. There are mm-hmm. things that we can control. There are things we can't control. Maybe it's not even when we when we step on the dog poop at the neighbors there, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we are in dark places, which happens to all of us, how do you how are you able to navigate yourself out of those dark places into something that is more more uh, helpful, something more positive, something that has the light? Yeah. Well, you know, I was there. Um, so I can speak, I can speak to my own experience, which is um, a, lo- a lot of times when people are in those places, it's, it's, it's actually a, a spiritual longing. And I didn't have the language for it at that time, but that's what it was for me. I'm not saying it's that for everyone, but it often is, especially if nothing else has really been helped you helped lead you out of that dark place. Mm-hmm. So that it, resonates it, with yeah. me when yeah. you say it's a spiritual longing. You know, yesterday was one of those days that I got up, you know, wake up in the morning and I'm just feeling this. Yeah. <laughs> there mm. wasn't anything. It wasn't the dog poop. I stepped in. I just had it. And, and sometimes I'm really good and, and the practicing has, has helped me along the way. It can be, you know, I can recognize it and I can get out of it. But yesterday mm-hmm. wasn't one of those days, and I often don't know why. Mm-hmm. But this resonates, a spiritual longing. Yeah, and 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 it's it if someone is stuck in that place and has been there, and almost uh, tragically, it could be just all they know. Uh, it's because they they haven't been introduced to how they can develop that spiritual walk. And for me personally, in my journey meditation was the gateway to that. Now, I didn't have the language at the time. I didn't know this. But through my meditation, because I was getting quiet, I was actually creating the stillness required to create that connection. Um, Prayer is another great way. And it it can be frustrating because oftentimes a lot of people will will turn to prayer much in the same way they'll turn to self-help, which is, I'm desperate. And I need to get something out of this fast. I mean, I actually remember one time when I, before I went bankrupt, where I actually prayed for help with my finances. Now that didn't happen. I still went bankrupt. So I thought, well, that didn't work. But what I didn't realize is I was meant to go on that journey. So prayers are always answered, but they might not be answered in the way that we desperately want. However, that being said, without instead of turning to uh, meditation or stillness or prayer in times of like, oh, I, I, I need this right now, making it a part of your life, um, as regular as, as going to sleep every night and thinking in the long term instead of, okay, I need results today because results might not come today or even this week. And Maybe if if maybe the results could come within a month or two, but 
what I found is that even if I didn't really get much practical benefit from uh, a day or a week of meditating, I could look back years later and realize it, it made a profound impact on my life. I couldn't bust out my yardstick and like measure exactly, oh, this led to this and this instantly created that. But I was out of that dark place. And that that was worth it. So um, that that is what I advise. And also, I, I, I would say, carry with that the mindset that it's, it's the hard, you know, the the deeper the pit we're in, the harder it's going to be to get out and the longer it's going to be to get out. Now, maybe that won't be the case. I hope not. But the idea is that it's like an ocean liner turning around in the ocean. It might take miles for it to turn around, but just because you haven't gotten out yet doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that you've you're you're in the thick of it and the the way out is is to keep going the way out is through the way out is through and so much of life we try to you know in the past we've tried to avoid we've tried to go around and that's not the way it's going through it's going through through these experiences allowing us to to feel, to meditate, to be still, and doing the uncomfortable, which ultimately takes us to a point of, of hope and healing and light and, and allows us to, to become and, and to continue to grow. You know, one of the things that we like to ask our guests, Nate, is about trail angels and who has been a trail angel in your life? Well, I'm I'm very blessed to say I have several. Um, and I, I, I realized several years ago that uh, teachers are very precious things. So I always try to make sure if I can find a great teacher. Oh, and, and I use the word teacher to be any any kind of mentor or someone who helps me out um, that that it's uh, more precious than any any gemstone. So. Uh, my, you could say like one of my biggest teachers is a man named Dr. Jerry Allen Johnson. And he, he's someone where um, he, ta- he taught and continues to teach a lot of Taoism to me today. Um, I didn't originally learn from him, but he was almost, he was like my teacher's teacher. And I, I was eventually lucky enough to find Dr. Johnson. Uh, Dr. Diego San Miguel is another one. And he's also a, a teacher who works with Dr. Johnson, Dr. Chris Holder. Um, Dr. William Wells Jr. And um, I'd also I'd also say my my wife is actually a teacher of mine um, and a, a trail angel of mine because we come we come from such different walks and we're able to learn from each other in that way. Um, so and and there are a lot more, but the but the idea is that I'm always on the lookout for someone who's been there and done that. Because I think beyond the knowledge, there's a special kind of transmission that goes with, with learning from and listening to someone who really, really has been there. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's going to have a positive ripple effect in your life that you, you might not know, but it's, it's going to be there. Exactly. We do have that ripple effect. And, and it's so great to know that 
someone has been there before us, in, especially in those times when we're really searching for a teacher, for a trail angel to, to help us to, to just recognize we're on the right path. And, um, and that is one of the gifts, I believe, of, of the challenges of life is that we can then pay it forward. We can then, you know, create opportunities to help others along their journeys, along their paths. But Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this has been an enlightening conversation, and I'm sure our audience has many, many things to take from this conversation and to, to begin to practice in their own lives. Each of oh, us have you. a story to share. Author Brene Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing you will ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us, as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of Karen the Load community through social media, as well as to share the site with those you know. We are stronger together. Keep Karen. Thank you.